listening to the podcast 82488. On the morning of December 5, Joe left the Y at 6. It might as well have been midnight. The sky was blue-black and the streets were icy and still. And that was a selection from today's novel. Time After Time by the author Lisa Grunewald Page 8 Chapter 2 As if the sun were rolling by 1937 The meeting Joe was heading for had nothing to do with Grand Central even though everyone who attended it had a job somewhere in the terminal. This was a prayer meeting run by a porter named Ralston Crosby Young, also known as the Red Cap Preacher. Like virtually all the Red Caps, Ralston was abidingly polite. He had been carrying passengers' bags and giving directions since the terminal's opening in 1913. But for years now, at least three days a week, he had also been leading prayer meetings in an empty train car on track 13. Joe had been born and raised a Catholic, and he attended church now only when he went with his family in Queens. Ralston's meetings were more his style. Listen, man, Ralston frequently said, God has a plan for your life. There were several dozen regulars, like Joan, who gave manicures at Delvey's and always had an eye out for Joe. Page 24. Joe's coat fell all the way past Nora's knees, leaving just a few inches of her blue dress showing. She leaned forward, her face nearly touching his neck this time and thanked him, her hand on his shoulder. All the day's exhaustion faded. It might just as well have been morning. He opened the door, but now it was her turn to hesitate. Come on, Joe said. Let's get you home safe and sound. Together they walked east on 42nd Street, passing the stately Commodore Hotel. The street lamps curved like shepherd's crooks and the cab stand where drivers were sleeping. Two streetcars rattled past each other like tired old men. When Joe and Nora turned north on Lexington Avenue, the wind hit them hard. You must be freezing, she said. I'm not. She stopped walking and turned to face him. What is it, he asked. Wordlessly, she reached up to tug the brim of his cap down, then took hold of his scarf and wrapped it twice around his neck. There, Joe Reynolds, she said to him tenderly, maybe that'll help. They passed a dress shop and a cigar shop, both closed up tight for the night. The traffic was thin. At this hour, there were usually a few cars heading north, to the Harlem nightclub.
and a few horse-drawn carts heading south to the markets and warehouses. Do you always work this late? Nora asked. Well, all the shifts are eight hours, but the BRT made it so we take turns on the late ones. That's the brotherhood of railroad train men. Joe pointed to the red tin union pen on the lapel of his coat. Been a member for 12 years, he said. Then he felt embarrassed for talking so much about himself. You're kind of a pip, you know, he said. A pip? He wondered if she was nervous to be out so late, even with him. Page 88. Esther put out her cigarette in an iron ashtray shaped like a spider. Honestly, I'm not sure, she said. I do believe people have energy that has to go somewhere when they die. And, and one thing I've heard is that some people get stuck being ghosts because they die in the middle of doing something and they don't even know they're dead. Unfinished business, that's what people call it. That sort of makes sense to me. Their spirits are supposed to come back every year exactly at the same time and in the same place they died. Kind of like an echo. An echo? Yeah, kind of. Like an echo of the time they died. An echo, Joe thought as he walked away. It certainly seemed that Nora had shown up on the anniversary of her death. But since when could an echo laugh at your jokes, give you her phone number, and gently wrap a scarf around your neck to keep you warm? On the morning of December 5, Joe left the Y at 6. It might as well have been midnight. The sky was blue-black, and the streets were icy and still. Only a few cars passed him. And then an old coal truck with wagon-type wheels and one of its front lights out. Once inside the terminal, Joe stole past the information booth, hurried down the ramp to the lower level, and then to the subway platform. If Nora had really died here, and if Esther was right about ghosts coming back, where and when they died, then Joe figured this would be where Nora would show up. Not many people were waiting at this hour, a time of more arrivals than departures, but the place wasn't deserted either. Wearing his black wool coat, his cap jammed into his pocket, Joe paced beside the tiled wall. The newspaper had said that the accident happened around 6.30 in the morning. Nothing more specific. It was 6.20 when Joe felt the subway train before he heard or saw it. A buzzing under his. The end. Time after time. Lisa Grunewald. Eight to four, the word eighty and the number eight dot com.